Well, good evening. I'd like to welcome you to our service and hope that you've had a good afternoon. And uh, glad the teens made it back from their Bible quizzing this afternoon, literally five minutes ago. And uh, glad for the safety. Let's go ahead and bow together for a word of prayer. And then we will get our service started tonight. <coughs> our Father, we're so grateful for this Lord's Day and the opportunity to study the Word of God together, to fellowship with other believers. And I pray that you will just bless our service tonight, help our thinking to be fixed on you as we have opportunity to share of your goodness. I pray that we would do that. And as we have opportunity to learn, I pray that we would learn very, very well. And uh, just pray for your, uh, you to work in our hearts tonight, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening tonight. The hearty and uh, faithful few that made it out tonight left the house. It was 30 degrees, so it was balmy, pretty good, but the wind chill was like 20. So we got a ways to go, but it sounds like the, the weather is going to get soggy and warm toward the end of the week. So anyway, we're going to go ahead and raise the rafters here. We're going to sing a song that I haven't heard in a long time. So please stand with me. It's on page 293. Break thou the bread of life. How many of, does that ring a bell? I've got a couple. Okay. Why don't we play it through once to let everybody else hear the melody so we don't spring it on them.
just a couple pages over to 296. Page 296. Be still, my soul. Be still.
missionary report.
Okay. At the name of Jesus. for me to live as Christ. Amen. In life or death I'll not despair My hope in Him I'll boldly share To live as Christ To die is gain I seek to magnify His name For me Page 63 in the blue book. Glorious, indescribable. Yeah. 
I'll tell you what, with the weather that we've got out there, besides having static in your, in your pants, that F is high and got my voice dried out. Woo, that was up there. But good one, we haven't sang that in a while. All right, now we're gonna go back to the red book, page 284, page 284, page 284. Some golden day break, and let's sing all three verses. Please stand with me on this one. Some golden day break. <clears throat> Some glorious morning sorrow will cease. Some glorious morning all will be peace. Heartaches all ending, stillness all gone. Heaven will open, Jesus will come. Good evening. Uh, if you guys would, open with me to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. 
While you're turning there, though, I'd like to read another passage that just stands out that I think ties very nicely into what we're talking about here in the passage of Ruth. It's Galatians 4, 1 through 6. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, but though he be lord of all. What is under tutors and governors under the time appointed of the father? Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage of the elements of the, of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive adoption of sons. Because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now we pick up, I believe I said Ruth 2, I meant to say Ruth 3. Where I picked up from here is we're, we're seeing a lot of things going on. We're seeing uh, really God's hand working through different circumstances. One of the things I'd to look at is what we pick up and we review is Ruth, or sorry, Naomi and her family, they went to Moab. They left the protection of Israel. They went there, they were there for so many years. They were married, and we see this change take place with Naomi. And I want to really focus on as we begin looking at Naomi, but we see how she's embittered, looking negatively towards God. Ruth comes with her as they come back to Israel. Here, Ruth meets Boaz. There's not much going on that was said exactly. It just seems like she was taken in as a servant to be in this field that he was taking care of her. But where we pick up here is we're going to see a family, Ruth and Naomi, they were really left with no hope. There was no hope for them. But this man, Boaz, appears. And through a plan and a simple request, things begin to change. A family is given redemption, and they are given hope that they have not previously known. And that leads us to really our proposition for tonight which is God wants you to glorify him in his plan for redemption. God wants you to glorify him in his plan for redemption. We look at the story here, and there's, it's not a very happy story up till now. There's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of problems. But when we pick up here in Ruth chapter 3, we see the things start to change out a little bit. Read with me to the end of the chapter from verse 1 to 18. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, said unto her, My daughter, shall I seek rest for thee, that it, may be, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley it tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee. Put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man." until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou sh shalt go in, uncover his feet, and lie, lie thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, all, thou, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down to the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of the corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. 
And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she said, She answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread thy skirt over me, thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, be, Blessed be thou the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. And as much as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for, th- for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee part of the kinsman, well, let him do to the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And she lay his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And she said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it out, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou? My daughter. And she told her all the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go, not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then, she, then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. When we look at the situation here, things have began to really start to pick up the pace. The first thing that we see in this first several verses, verses 1 through 4, is Naomi's plan. She's planning with God's in mind. But I really want us, before we get to this first several verses here, I really want to see Naomi's change. We look at verse, chapter 1, verse 20 and verse 21. And she said to them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, saying the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. We see at this very beginning when she was introduced that she cannot stand how the Lord has dealt with her. She's very bitter. She's holding everything again, saying this is your fault. But things begin to change. We notice in chapter 2 that there was, that she was, that Ruth was out gleaning in the fields. It says, from the barley to the wheat harvest. If they were planted at the same time, that's a couple of weeks. If they would have planted one following the other, as probably was, it's probably upwards of six months that this takes place. So while Ruth is out gleaming, Naomi is sitting, watching. The beginning of chapter two, she just simply is like, you know, Ruth, go do what you want to do. Leave me alone. Go. But then we start to see a drastic change. And I do think it's more towards the six months because you see Naomi, how the Lord has been working during that time, softening her heart. Because what she says in verse 20 of chapter 2, it says, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord. The last time we heard Naomi talk, that was not the attitude she had. She was depressed, bitter, Now she says, the Lord, 
He's done well to us. Be thankful. And we see in chapter 3 that Naomi says, I've changed. Ruth, it's time for you to change. We can see that as she's working through here that Naomi was being softened. But Ruth was required to change. Notice here in verse 2. Sorry, verse 3. Naomi tells her, Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put on thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. If you know anything about Old Testament, when someone was mourning, they typically would have sackcloth and ashes on, correct? They were saying, so Naomi says, it's time to take off, time to wash, get rid of the ashes, wash, change your clothes, remove the sackcloth, because the Lord's working. Do you see it? He's already brought someone in here to take care of you. He's a near kinsman. Let's move on this. And she's already starts seeing a near kinsman. The Lord must be working in this. And she starts viewing and saying, let's move. I do have this suspicion that, though it does not say in the text or anything, that I do believe Naomi probably knew that there was a nearer kinsman than Boaz. But she sent him to Boaz knowing that he was an upright man that would resolve this issue and that whatever would come out of it, the Lord would be working. So we begin by seeing that Naomi had a plan and that she was working with God in mind. Second thing that we'll see, though, is that Ruth's request, God is working hidden in a cultural misconception. If we read the next few verses, sorry, I'd like to pick up at verse 4 and read down to verse 6. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put upon thy raiment, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place wherever he shall lie, and thou shalt again uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou to do. And she said unto him, All that thou won't do. Jump down to verse 9. It says, and, she, and he said, Who art thou? She answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. I think the first thing that really needs to be talked about in this passage is when it says skirt, what does that mean? Now, when he would, it means a physical hem. There would have been a physical piece of clothing that he was having that she was laying at his feet that she would spread over him. There is a physical connotation to it, but it's also a spiritual connotation. The first thing I want to make very clear is that there is no promiscuity that's going on in this passage. If you believe that to be the case, you don't understand the character of either of these two people. The first thing to really look at is that he says in verse 11 that thou art a virtuous woman. The way that Boaz has been portrayed the entire book is that he's an upright man. That's the reason why Naomi was sending him to Boaz. So there's nothing here that says anything but they were upright. There are different perspectives of here, but it is a perspective that they are both upright. If we continue on and kind of look at what's going on in the situation, so what does it mean by skirt? She says, all right, so why did he ask for that skirt? The skirt comes with two ideas. The first one is it's actually proposed, she's actually in essence proposing to Boaz. I do want to make that clear that she is in essence having to ask for her passive marriage. We may think that's a bit odd, but she's looking here saying, Hey, Boaz, 
I've been left with nothing. Will you be the person to redeem my family? Will you take over this? He pauses and he says, in other passages, there's something very similar. It's an, it's an action of a covenant. In Ezekiel 16a, the picture of the Lord talking with Jerusalem and Israel. And it says that the Lord in verse 16, verse 8, says, God speaking to Israel, sorry, now when it, I passed by thee and looked upon thee by the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness, yea, I swear unto thee, entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord, and thou became mine. If you read through the rest of chapter 16 in Ezekiel, we see that the, what the Lord was giving him is saying, hey, I saw you when you were naked. I'm covering you that you will end up being protected. There is an, a perspective here that the skirt is also, in many places, translated wing. It, it gives this idea of a wing. Look at uh, Ruth 2.12. The Lord recompense thy work, and full word be given thee of the Lord of Israel, whose, under whose wings thou art come to trust. That wing is the same word as the skirt previously. And he says, you have came underneath me. Let me protect my wing over top of you to protect you. The Lord has done so. The same idea of what wings do as protection, probably one of the most common passages we may think about, is in Luke 13. Luke 13, verse 34, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets and stone them that are sent out unto thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, but ye would not. The Lord is here. Naomi's saying, hey, I have a lot going on in my family. There's not much value I have. I'm simply gleaning a field. Boaz, will you protect me? Will you spread your wing over top of me? She comes with a bold request. And the passage that, another passage that comes to my mind that thinks very, very similar to this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're before Nebuchadnezzar and there's a statue and they were told about and they don't. This is Daniel 3, 7, uh, Daniel 3 and they're told here. The most common phrase we know out of this is that when Nebuchadnezzar tells them they're going to throw them in the fire if they don't bow down. Nebuchadnezzar, or sorry, the three respond with, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Ruth had faith. I'm sure she was nervous about what was going to go on here, how this was going to tie in, what's going to happen, but she had to act on the faith, even at the fear of getting rejection, just as the three men there did. They said, Lord, we leave it up to you. We're going to act by faith. However the results are, you are still God. Boaz's response, though, he simply remembers God's word. Something definitely for us to pause and reflect on is remembering that, that it is just God's word that ends up being the solution to their problem. What he does here in verses 10 through 18, he just says, Blessed be thou the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown me more kindness in the latter end than thou art in the beginning. 
Inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all those require, for thou art a city of my people. Doth know thou art a virtuous woman. It is true that I am near kinsmen, howbeit there is a nearer than I. The first thing I really want us to note is Boaz's response here is he does not throw his skirt over top of her and says, yes, I will protect you. He says, God's word says there's someone closer than I. You're a virtuous woman. Anyone would be happy to marry you and be thankful for it. But it's not my place. He says, let's work through this. He knows there's one that he cannot simply do without having to tarnish his and her name. So let's talk about the purpose of this redemption. If you would flip over to Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25. In the passage here, we see this explanation of law, um, just different laws that are concerning human relations within the family, within Israel. But specifically here, we're going to see, this is going to tie in heavily into chapter 4, which I will not be getting into tonight. But in verse 5, we see how the kinsman redeemer really ties into place here. It says, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no children, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Naomi's been faithful in that area so far. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take him a wife and perform the duty of a husband unto her. And now shall be that the firstborn which is beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name shall not be put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto, it, unto his brother a name of Israel, and he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of this city shall call him that speak unto him, if he stand to it and say, I will not take her. Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, loose his shoe from off his foot, spit in his face, and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man which will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that has hath, hath, well, the house of him that hath that hath his shoe loosed. Oh, okay. Uh, She's been faithful. I think as we read through here is that she has checked many of these boxes. She did not go into there. And we can look at Boaz's response that he didn't go into her earlier because there was someone closer to him. And she's saying, I've not been dealt with properly. Boaz, will you step in here and take care of it for me? Boaz, will you? Look at this. And he says, you're right. You have been more faithful. You have been more virtuous and shown more kindness than what he has to you, this other man. So we look at the purpose here of protection is that it was to protect the woman. In the Old Testament, women had no value. So by having to do this and having to redeem there, that would protect the woman, which was supposed to be almost as a sister, a wife to his brother for that instance. But it also gives value. The Redeemer here is the whole purchase is to pay off a debt. 
He is to take the debt that would be owed there, and he's going to take it on himself, that he's going to gain all these things. He's going to willingly step up and take the place of a husband that should have been there, should have done these things, but was unable to. One of the things that we can look at, though, is this promise of redemption towards the end. He says, hey, stay here, tarry this night, verse 13, it shall be in the morning, perform the part of the kinsman. Well, let him do it. But if not, do the part of the kinsman, then I will do the part, I will do the part of a kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie thee down. He first gives her hope. We see that he's giving her hope and saying, there is time. He's not going to leave her with empty words, but with hope of redemption. She wakes up the next morning, and he tells her, not before one can know another. He says this to maintain her virtue. Because if it would have been known, it would have caused many problems, and it would have made it to where even that he would not, the other kinsmen would not have had to because of different um, law restrictions, and there would have been many issues that could have come from this. So he says, we've been faithful. Let it not to be misconstrued against the Lord as he's working. But what he also does is take the veil and he fills it, he measures six measures of barley and he laid it into her. He gives her a gift, almost as a dowry of sorts. Not saying that's what it is, but it's almost as he's giving something here as a promise saying, if the man doesn't do, a, do his job, I'm giving you as a gift here. It's a gift towards a dowry. If you want to think about this as almost like a down payment of sorts, Philippians 1.20, he uses the word earnest. The earnest is translated as a down payment. It says in Philippians 1.20, according to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Romans 8.18 8, and 19, for I reckon the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which I shall be received, revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the Son of God. He says, I'm giving you a gift here. I believe, I look at him as it could be a dowry, saying, if he doesn't take care of it, here you go. If it's not, here's a gift for your faithfulness. We see the very end, Naomi's response, as she simply responds back with, I, I, I can only imagine with how Naomi's feeling, she goes, what does all of this mean? She may have understood, but ladies, if you're waiting for something to hear from a man you really care about, I can think back to your engagement time period, how you have the, when you're maybe early dating, possibly waiting for the, the engagement process, and you're waiting for maybe possibly things are going on, and nobody's trying to settle her down, and she says, sit still, my daughter. Until thou, the matter will fall, the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. She says, it's going to be taken care of. The Lord is good. Sit still. So we look at the passages here. We see a lot going on. What does it mean for us? How do we apply this? The first thing I want to look at is when we see Naomi's planning here, she had a plan, but she left the results up to God. How many of you guys can think back to college or potential spouse, it seems like there's all these different options. I'm going to use the word options there. <laughs> you get to a point, though, that it's just, you have to make a decision. 
there is maybe not a, always a directly correct choice, but there's obvious wrong choices. But when you take that step of faith and you look and you say, Lord, I, I believe this is what you have for me, I'm going to leave it up to you for whatever the results are going to be. Naomi has his plan. She sees how the Lord's working and she says, Lord, I'm going to throw in my own interpretation here. Is, Lord, you brought these two together for a reason. Are you working? Ruth, I need you to go and test the waters. Are you listening? I think of the passage that comes to my mind is James chapter 4, verses 13 and 15. Go to now that ye say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the tomorrow. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. And here's the verse that really makes me think about this. For ye ought to say, if the Lord will, ye shall live to do this or that. He says, we have a plan here, but Lord... Really, it's your results. Are you in this? Show yourself. How about God's working through her request, through Ruth's request? She comes over here, she's at his feet, and she lays it out on the line. She goes, Boaz, marry me or not. And he takes a back step, and he, but she, for us, we can look at it and say, she had to take a step of faith. Using the same analogy of, where we had to make a plan and where we're going to college, marriage, spouse. We had to take a step of faith saying, Lord, I see your hand here. Make it known. We can't sit, I think about the young people here, and making a decision and having to look to the future, having to choose, make a choice. You can't just sit around in your parents' basement forever. It's having to step up and go and wherever the Lord may lead. James 4. Draw nigh to the Lord, and he'll draw nigh to you. One of the questions I, I remember asking many times in high school and college, more in college than in high school, was, what is the Lord's will? I used to call some pastors that I was friends with, and I said, how do you know Lord's will? How, how do you think through these processes? How do you make a decision? I, I want to take a step of faith, but I don't want to take the wrong spot. I want to follow the Lord's leading. Where are you taking me? What, what are you doing? Where, what is the Lord's will? Pursuing the Lord's will can sometimes seem obscure. I remember being a young person it being very, oh, just follow the Lord's will. And you really can't give a physical meaning to that, but it, you want one. We want something we can grab onto and explain. And one pastor said to me, he goes, God's will, we can know that by knowing him, and we know him by knowing his word. James 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then when it comes to making decisions like Ruth's, or sorry, like Boaz's response, he responded was ultimately a decision. And he says, that's not, and he deferred that decision saying, it's not for me to make a decision. He says, I, I can't just go here. And the thing that's very astounding for this is we have to think about is he calls her a virtuous woman. We can think about that this is probably that he's noticed her as we've believed before is that she's probably about half his age. He could be her dad. And he says, this is a beautiful woman. She's virtuous. 
what's not to want about her. And rather than making a decision based off feelings, he says, what does God's word say? Rather than looking around and saying, yes, this is it. He says, what does God's word say? Oh yeah, I can't say yes, unfortunately. But we can make it right. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 10. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord whose hope is. For he shall be a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Excuse me, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his way, according to the fruit of his doings. The Lord's working here and he says, hey, don't trust your feelings. You have to remember God's word. The story of Ruth and Naomi, while it's not completed yet, I'll leave that to next week. There's a lot of pain and suffering. But the thing we can't remember is God is still working. Even from the beginning with all of the pain, God was working. He began work in ways that we didn't see. I don't believe it was perfect for them and his perfect will to them to leave and go to Moab. And he says, your pain, there were some mistakes. You're gonna, it's going to hurt for the mistakes you made. But I'm still working. How can we not see the picture of Christ in this? The hope that he gives. He saw our need and offers hope. We rejected God's perfect plan in Genesis, and he comes back later and he says, I will redeem you. Just as we, just as I opened up in Galatians chapter 4. Would you turn there and read it with me at the very end? Galatians 4. I'm just going to begin from verse 4 to 6. But when the fullness of time was come, God was working for so long. Just in the story of Ruth that God was working. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. I'm going to read that again. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and look at your word, see how you are working. Even when it's hard to see, Father, I just pray that we'll take time to pause and glorify you for how you are working. But Lord, help us to walk by faith. Step out as necessary. When things seem too good to be true, help us to pause and remember your word and just ask, Lord, are you here? Spend time in your word. Help us make decisions that will glorify you. Pray the Son's precious and holy name. Amen.
Aren't there a lot of subtle but very rich principles in that passage of scripture? Especially when it comes to this issue of decision making. And I think one of the most interesting statements in that passage is when he says, well, there's someone closer than me, so you just wait and I'll go talk to them. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. And Naomi tells Ruth, just sit still. He will not rest until this is resolved. And uh, I think a lot of times uh, people are too passive. And instead of making decisions that they need to go make and get busy and do it, they sit back and say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Boaz knew exactly what he needed to do. He went to the guy. And we'll find out when we get to that passage that he was, uh, he was fairly shrewd about how he approached the guy, too. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. He was not a young man. He had some experience and wisdom, and he, uh, he knew how to handle that situation. So just wait until next time. All right. Well, let's go ahead and let's turn in our hymn books to page 298. And the song we're going to close with is the song Satisfied. Satisfied. Please let's stand together and we'll sing all three verses of this song together. All my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring. song. So, Brother David Avery, can you please come and close us in prayer? And uh, hope that many of you can make it back on Wednesday as we continue our series through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it'll be a lot warmer on Wednesday than it is today. So, <laughs> go ahead. Thank you. Dear Father, thank you for the message tonight on Ruth and Boaz. Help us apply that uh, as we go out of here tonight. Keep us safe as uh, we depart. In your name, amen.